Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, we continue our Advent series with a message centered around the familiar carol, O Come, All Ye Faithful. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim. Uh, And if I haven't met you yet, my name is Tim. Um, Welcome to South Harbor. Glad you... uh, This is is technically the first Sunday of Advent. Um, We started our Christmas series, sermon series, last week. But uh, this morning is technically the first Sunday of Advent, the season of waiting and anticipating Christmas. Uh, My my kiddos uh, are helping me anticipate Christmas. They've been counting down. We've got the little chocolate calendars. Uh, and so they've been counting down not just the days, but the hours. And so I'm getting the play-by-play. It's still a little bit away yet. But uh, what, 22 days? 21 days and 17 hours or something. That's, uh, but we're going to be, if you have a Bible, um, the words will also be up on the screen if you do not. But if you have your own Bible and want to turn there, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. Uh, one of the things we try to do here, one of the things I love to do is, how do you, how do you look at these old stories? For many of us, uh, these are really familiar stories. Some, some of us, these may be the first time you've heard the story, at least in a church setting. But, but for many of us, we grew up with these stories, and we've heard these stories. We've seen movies about these stories. Uh, and so we're always trying to, like, how do we hear the story fresh again? Like, for the first time again, what's... What's a new insight, a new way of approaching things um, so that we can hear the story, receive the story again? And, uh, and we thought this year, uh, and Chris kicked it off last week, uh, uh, we, we thought maybe an entry point in would be through the songs that we sing at Christmas time. Uh, so we're calling this series The Songs of Christmas. Uh, I, I particularly like this lens because I'm a, I'm a music guy. I love music. And one of the things I love about Christmas is uh, no matter what genre of music you prefer, Um, My guess is we don't all agree on what we love uh, in terms of genre of music, but you can probably find some of your favorite Christmas songs in your genre. Um, Do we have any rock fans here? Like you're you're listening to rock and roll, rock music. Okay, Uh, do we have any um, who here are my uh, alternative folk indie crowd, right? Like you like the music that is I'll figure out later because it's not on the radio yet. Anybody that's like indie rock? No indie rocks? Okay. Yes. I, I'm actually, that's my genre. Uh, how about a country? We'll, we'll pray for you. That's good. Um, <laughs> I do like country. It's a guilty pleasure. Uh, Christian music. Yeah. Okay. A lot of you. Uh, how about rap as your dominant genre? Yeah. yeah. You could be proud of that. That 90s rap or modern rap? 90s. Early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my like gym playlist, is that? Uh, classical? We have any classical music fans? Oh, okay, yes. Uh, okay, did I miss any categories? I'm sure I did. Folk? Boy band. Boy band is not a genre. Boy band is a sin. And we repent. Um, <laughs> that's a good... Pop and boy... Pop is a big category. Pop and boy band. Boy band. BTS. I'll one day figure them out. Um, what I love about this time of the year is no matter what genre you like, you can probably find one of your favorite songs in that genre. And many of them are biblical, like they're, they're centered on the biblical story. Not all of them. You've got like, um, but, well, most of the songs, though, like there's some kind of roots to, our, to the biblical faith. Uh, it's the only time of the year that I can go through Meyer or Walmart or the mall and you're hearing Christian songs sung by pop artists. 
Uh, there's something powerful in that. Um, but uh, I was even thinking a song as simple as, uh, so let's, let's say you're trying to find the song. This is not necessarily a Christian song, but uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. You know that song, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. If you wanted that song uh, sung by Twisted Sister, <laughs> you can find that song on Twisted Sisters, A Twisted Christmas. You can find it. Now, maybe you're like, I don't, that's not my jam. I prefer Garth Brooks. Uh, you can find uh, Garth Brooks, The Magic of Christmas. That, by the way, uh, that jawline, those cheekbones, that's <laughs> Garth in all of his glory. Uh, uh, my favorite version of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas uh, happens to be the Coldplay version. If you haven't heard the Coldplay version, uh, it, it's, yeah, okay, we got a woo on the Coldplay version. Uh, it is unbelievable. Um, but maybe none of those, like, like Twisted Sister, Garth Brooks, Coldplay, Not Your Jam, um, you can probably still find Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas or any number of, of Christmas songs in your favorite genre. For instance, that particular song you can find sung by this gentleman, Frank Sinatra. That's my father-in-law's favorite uh, Old Blue Eyes, Frank Sinatra. Or you could find it sung by the more modern version of him, uh, Michael Buble. You got Buble fans. Uh, or by, I don't know what comes next, uh, Kelly Clarkston. Remember Kelly? Yeah. Uh, or, oh, I forget who that is. Sam Smith. Sam Smith, yeah, okay. Uh, or <laughs> Whitney. Oh, she, yeah, she had a voice. Uh, or you can find a son. Um, Carrie Underwood. Carrie Underwood. <laughs> or Christina Aguilera. She's a genie in a bottle. You can find it by her. Uh, or John Legend. You can find the John Legend version. Or the, oh, the Josh Groban. That, this is the, I just woke up out of bed, but I got perfectly airbrushed to look. It's got it. It's killing it. Or you can find the same song sung by Lauren Daigle? Lauren Daigle, yeah. Some Lauren Daigle fans. Or you can find the song sung by the Jackson 5 or Alan Jackson or... Oh, um, you may know? Idina Menzel. Elsa. Frozen. Elsa or Idina Menzel. Or you can find it sung by John Denver. Take Me Home, Country Roads. Uh, or you can find it sung by... I see you, John Denver. Um, yeah, uh, this is the Backstreet Boys. Uh, kids, if your mom is in her, like, 40s, she probably had a crush on these guys. And you can tell why. <laughs> or the Muppets. Or you can find the same song sung by Alvin and the Chipmunks. Or... Uh, Mary J. Blige, or, yeah, they, uh, yeah, Hanson, uh, I will fight you over whether Mbop is a good song. It is. It's objectively a good song. Go back and listen to it. Um, it's a good song. Or, Barbra Streisand, or, we're finding one of your people yet. Um, uh, my wife's favorite Christmas album is Harry Connick Jr.'s Christmas album. His first one, I believe. Uh, or uh, Sarah McLaughlin, the sad puppy version of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. <laughs> or Tony Bennett or uh, Megan Trainer. Yes, thanks for helping me. Megan Trainer. Or 
Nora Jones, or Thomas Rhett, or Ben Rector. Ben Rector. <laughs> that mustache is awesome. I love it. It's the same thing my mustache does. It doesn't grow in the middle. Um, or oh, Vanessa Williams. Took me a minute. Or we can keep going. Um, Pentatonics, or you can find Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas by Luther Vandross, or Clay Aiken, <laughs> running for governor, Clay Aiken, or Sweet Baby James, James Taylor, or Martina McBride, or Kermit the Frog, or Toby Keith, or who knows it? Shaggy. Remember Shaggy? It wasn't me. Shaggy. Ah. <laughs> well done. I don't think I could have gotten that one. Or, I forget this guy's name. Chris Isaac. That's right. Or, oh yeah, last but not least. Yeah, Michael Bolton, throwback to the 80s. Uh, Michael Bolton. My point, you can go on and on and on. My point is that if you have a Christmas song that you love, you can probably find it sung by a number of people. I have made a joke here for 11 years. I'm going to double down on this joke. I make it every year that Christmas is the only time that if you want to hear a song, it's the only time that when Justin Bieber is singing about his baby, he's singing about an actual baby. It's funny. It was funny 11 years ago, and it's still funny. Okay, that's, that's my joke. I will keep, as long as I live, I will make that joke at Christmas. Uh, my point, though, is that sometimes our Christmas, uh, the songs we sing can actually shape how we understand the story. Um, the songs that we sing about Christmas, uh, because they become so common, they can shape the movies we watch. And then the movies can shape the images we have. And the songs we sing can shape the way we understand the biblical story. Uh, this morning, um, we, we titled this one, Oh, Come Let Us Adore Him. Uh, it's a song we're going to sing after this message. Um, and we've been thinking about the people who first come to meet Jesus. Uh, the, the, last week, Chris led us through the shepherds who meet Jesus in the Christmas story. There's another group of people that meet Jesus in the Christmas story. Anyone want to wager a guess? The wise, the wise men. Well done. Wise men. Uh, the wise men or the magi uh, are also in our story who come to meet Jesus. Uh, now, the song, O Come, Let Us Adore Him, does not in particular talk about the magi how, or the wise men. However, there's another song that is just about these guys. Anyone know the name of that song? We Three Kings, of course. We Three Kings. So um, now, to show you how much our understanding of the songs is shaped a bit by, or of the story is shaped by the songs we sing. I want to introduce a new game to you all. Uh, by the way, um, my son was in the first service, so I couldn't share this. One of the reasons we do games is because my boy is starting to take sermon notes, and I want him to like, learn how to study the Bible and how to critique culture and how the culture talks about the Bible. Like, I want to teach him how to do this. And so uh, I'm constantly, so I do it for you all too, but I'm trying to figure out like what's a good, fun story that he can apply. It's why we do Find the Elephant as opposed to uh, other versions of the game because I want him to catch it. So here's a game. Uh, I made this, up this game for my boy, um, but I think it, I, I'll give it to you as well. Uh, I call this game Bible or Artistic License. 
Okay, so Bible or artistic license. Uh, the rules of the game are really simple. We have the song, We Three Kings. Uh, we know the song, We Three Kings. My question is, how much of the song is in the Bible and how much of the song is artistic license? You know what I mean when I say artistic license, right? Like it's uh, an exaggeration on the story. Or the, art, the, the lyricist decided you need to make things rhyme, so we're going to make things rhyme and we're going to add some details. And that has shaped how we understand the story. Artistic license is anytime you're watching a movie and it says, like, based on a true story or inspired by a true story, um, you know that that director or film writer has, uh, it's not exactly the true story. They're not trying to tell it straight. They're loosely basing it on, I, I didn't know this, on um, that the movies, for those of you who are movie people, the movie Psycho, The Silence of the Lambs, and The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, did you know those are all uh, based on a true story? Did you know they were all based on the same true story? <laughs> did you know? Oh, no, <laughs> well done. Well done. I did not know that. I did not know that. Um, if you watch those three movies, they're very different movies, very different plot lines. Uh, and yet all of them base themselves on the same moment in history, the same true story. Uh, and that's how it works with artistic license. They're not trying to necessarily tell the story as it happened. They're trying to tell the story in a way that uh, makes things interesting or rhymes or whatever. So with that, let's play the game Bible or artistic license uh, with the song We Three Kings. Let me put the lyrics up of the first, just the first verse. That's all we're going to look at. Uh, the first verse. Um, tis the season, by the way, that we have to sing it. So um, don't leave me hanging. We're going to sing it together. Ready? We three kings of Orient are Bearing gifts we traverse afar Field and fountain, moor and mountain Following yonder star That's good. No, oh, oh, oh. we'll leave that. Um, okay, okay. Bible? Or artistic license. Let's look at the story. We only have one uh, version of this particular story. There's only, it's only told once. There's four Gospels. They're like biographies of the life of Jesus. Only Matthew tells the story of uh, the wise men, Magi, we three kings. Okay, so uh, only, Ma only Matthew tells the story. I want you to see how much of the song feels like it's artistic license and how much of it feels Bible. So see how many you can count. Uh, let's read through the story. It's in Matthew 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been, called, who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem was disturbed with him. When he had called together all the, chief, the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherds of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, 
Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and of myrrh. They, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Okay, that's our story. That's a story, by the way, that inspired all the songs about, but especially the song, We Three Kings. Now, uh, how much of this is Bible and how much of this is artistic license? How many found one detail that feels like artistic license? How many found two? How many found three? How many found four? Okay, uh, let's, let's just go through the song. And again, I'm, I'm trying to help my son figure out, like, not everything you watch is always super accurate. So, uh, but sometimes the things we sing can shape how we understand the story. Um, first, we three kings. Three, is that Bible or artistic license? Artistic license. We are never told that there are three. Okay, We are never told there are three. We're told that there are three gifts. So maybe there are just three that are bringing the gifts. Although uh, there is a prophecy in the Old Testament prophet Isaiah talks about how people will come from the east, many people with all their camels, and so many bringing gifts of gold and incense. So many think that uh, those two stories are connected, in which case there's probably more than three. Um, But the story itself never tells us that there are three. It simply says there are three gifts. Okay, so a little bit artistic license in the three. By the way, the Bible also never says, though we always show this in every movie or depiction I've ever seen, have you ever noticed it's always two white dudes and a black dude? It's not in the Bible. It never says that. It's not DC talk. It's not in there. Uh, And yet we always show it that way. It's not in there, though. Um, (laughs) They're all... Anyway, uh, we three kings. Uh, does, does Matthew tell us they are kings? Is that Bible or is that artistic license? Artistic license. What does the Bible say they are? What does Matthew say they are? Magi. Okay, so what's a magi? Hold that question. We'll get there. Uh, we three kings of Orient are Bible or artistic license? Yeah, they're from the east. Uh, by the way, that line, uh, we three kings of Orient are. My whole childhood, I thought it was we three kings of oil and tar. And uh, <laughs> I still have to remind myself that's not the actual lyrics because that, my brain did that. Also, the song, Up From the Grave He Arose. As a kid, it was always Up From Grave He Arose. So I pictured like a bowl of gravy with a rose. Kids are... Okay. Uh, uh, never says they're from the Orient, um, but it does say they're from the East. So maybe that feels accurate. Okay, so uh, Maybe. Um, we three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We traverse afar. Traverse, just a weird word. Um, they didn't even make Chevys back then. Uh, field and... F- <laughs> such a dad joke. Field and fountain. Fountain. It's a stretch, right? Fountain? Were they passing fountains? Field and fountain. Uh, but you need a word that rhymes with mountain. So you understand the lyricist's dilemma. We got to rhyme with mountain. More and mountain... Now, I don't know what you picture when you think of the word moor or more, um, but I, uh, I picture like grassy, wet fields. Is that accurate? 
like Bilbo Gaggin, Baggins running through. Like, uh, is that where they're traveling through? Eh, artistic license. Following yonder star, last one. Is the star moving? Seems to suggest that maybe it is moving. Is the star moving? And if so, how come nobody else saw the star? How come Herod didn't see the star? How come no, nobody else in the area, like, why, the, why just these people from the east? Why did they see the star and nobody else see the star? These are the right questions, are they not? Like, why did they catch the star? Or maybe it's this giant bright star. You ever notice that typically when we portray this moment, it's something like this? Like, if you see a giant star hanging out over a baby, you probably say, I'm going to go check out the, the baby. Like, what's going on with the giant star? How come nobody else caught the star? What is going on in, in our story? Do you see how the songs we, sh- we, we sing can shape our understanding of the particular story? Uh, and sometimes it's helpful, and sometimes it actually can cloud what the actual story is trying to say. We can actually miss some things that are part of the original story, what Matthew is trying to, to, to get us to see. So let's work through the story, see what Matthew is actually trying to get at a little bit. Um, I'll put some pieces together with you. So uh, the first is Matthew tells us, we'll go back to that question. Matthew doesn't tell us that there are three kings. Matthew tells us that these people from the east are magi. Now that, that detail is a, probably one of those details that feels like you can skip right over, um, but that's a pretty significant clue that Matthew is giving us for, to, for what to do with this whole story. Because magi is a specific word that comes out of ancient Persia. Magi is a Persian word. Uh, the Persians were an empire that conquered the world. Uh, it was the Assyrians conquered the world, and then the Babylonians conquered the Assyrians, and then the Persians conquered the Babylonians. Daniel was taken captive by the Babylonians, trains up some Babylonians, uh, who is later released under the Persians. So the Persians have magi, and the magi, and we learn this from the story of Daniel, they, they kind of pay attention to stars. It's kind of what they're, they're interested in. They're star people. Magi is a Persian word. Now, the reason I tell you that is uh, I want you to get a feel for these Persian people who are traveling to see Jesus. And you, you kind of got to think about what they're thinking when they're making this journey. Um, this, this partic- to give Jesus these gifts cost them something. Uh, ancient Persia is located where modern-day Iraq is. Uh, and uh, this is Bethlehem. It's right next to Jerusalem. There's like a stone's throw away. Uh, it is 620 miles as the crow flies, but the crow wouldn't make that travel because of this. This is the Arabian Desert. You don't travel through the Arabian Desert to this day. There is a couple of roads that cross the Arabian Desert but hardly anybody takes the roads because if your car breaks down in the desert, you're stuck in one of the hottest deserts uh, on the planet. Most people then and even today, they would travel up the Tigris and Euphrates River, what is known as the Fertile Crescent, and make their way down the Mediterranean Sea coast. Uh, this ancient road is known as the Via Maris and this uh, um, King's Highway. Oh, no, King's Highway's here. I don't know what this road's called. But 28 hours or so by car. 28 hours or so by car. 1,300 miles. Okay, you get a feel for these. Like, how 
much time does the journey take? How long are they making this journey? Now, when we picture it, uh, when we see it in movies and on TV and in our songs, uh, we often picture it as like, okay, the shepherds go visit Jesus, and as they're making their way out, the magi are like, hang on one second, we hold the door for us, and then they come on in and they see baby Jesus. Jesus is always a baby in the manger when the magi show up. However, you read the story, and the story is very clear. Matthew says, after this happened, doesn't tell us how long after, but he does tell us that, uh, I think it's verse 11, in the house of Jesus. So Jesus uh, is apparently, they've set up shop, Mary and Joseph, and they're now living in a house somewhere. So apparently the story happens sometimes later, which would make sense for the long journey. How long later? Okay, we don't know for certain because Matthew doesn't tell us. But there is an Old Testament passage by a prophet who makes the same trip. And notice what this prophet, his name is Ezra. Uh, He's traveling from Persia back to Jerusalem, which is a stone's throw from Bethlehem. And notice what we read in Ezra chapter 7. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon, which was later Persia, on the first day of the first month. And he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month, for the gracious hand of his God was on him. So Ezra travels from the first month, first day of the first month, to the first day of the fifth month, meaning it takes Ezra four months to complete the journey. Four months. And the reason that detail is recorded is because to the author, that's a miracle how fast that happened. The only way he could make it that fast is because, and I quote, the gracious hand of God was on him. So how long do the Magi travel? Weeks? Months? Years? Uh, If you know this is coming in the story that uh, Herod's going to say kill any of the kids under two. So some people think they must have some indication that they've been doing this for two years or just shy of two years. Again, we don't know for certain. All we know is that this is a long travel. But not only is it a long journey, it's a really dangerous journey. Uh, It's dangerous because it's hot. It's dangerous because the terrain is difficult. Uh, It would be a hard hike for even the most athletic here. Um, It's dangerous for that. It's also dangerous because you have a lot of wild animals and you have a lot of enemy, rebel enemy groups that would meet on these ancient roads. This is dangerous. Uh, Perhaps what we could say is that, we could make this point, that sometimes giving gifts is dangerous. Uh, I first, well, let let me ask this question. How many of you have already finished Christmas shopping? Anybody? A couple of you, yeah. Uh, how many of you haven't even started? It's okay. How many wait till, till Christmas Eve? That was for years. That's what I did until uh, Amazon fixed the problem for me. Now it's <laughs> every day's Christmas when Amazon shows up. Um, uh, but yeah, that, yeah, anybody else have the thing? Total side tangent. Anybody else, uh, you have a, a joint Amazon account with your spouse and you got to figure out how to hide what you're buying on Amazon because they get alerts? The, the struggle is real. Jeff Bezos should have figured that out by now. Like, he should have figured that out. Uh, now, that moment, though, think about that moment when you're, you're thinking about what present you're going to give them 
that moment can be a bit dangerous, right? Especially if you really care about them. If you really love them, uh, the moment can be a bit dangerous because you want to get them the right thing. And you want them to know that you care about them. And it's not about the cost of the product. It's not, like, it's not so much that as much as I really want them to know that I see them. Uh, I, I understand them. First time this, became, uh, this lesson became clear to me was in the second grade. Uh, in the second grade, I, um, I had my first crush. Think back to your first crush. Uh, I had my first crush in the second grade. And uh, our teacher, right before Christmas, uh, it was actually the last day before Christmas break, decided to break us up into groups of six. And uh, we were going to make ornaments for the five other people in our group and then give them our ornaments. Uh, my crush's name was Nicole. Um, I have no idea what she's doing now. You may know her. It was in Hudsonville, so I have no idea. Um, but uh, Nicole was my crush. And uh, I remember like having to make these five ornaments. And I quickly made the other four, right? Like I was like, I'm going to be done with these. Uh, and I spent so much energy on this one ornament. I wanted to, I was like an artist with glitter and glue. <laughs> like I worked so hard because I wanted to give her the perfect gift. I wanted her to see this gift. And because uh, I was really, really shy. So I didn't really talk to her much, um, but I just kind of looked at her. And so I wanted her to know why I looked at her. Um, <laughs> Think back, think back to your first crush. Uh, it's, 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 I don't know if your first crush did this, but when, when Nicole walked into a room, she glowed. I swore it. Uh, anyway, after, the, after, um, after class, I, uh, well, so we make these gifts, and I give her the gift, and she says to me, as she gets the gift, she says, real big and bright, thanks, Tim. And uh, it was one of those moments where it's like cloud nine, right? It's like, okay, Jesus, please come back, but not yet. Because like this feels really good, right? Like I, uh, I, I just remember like this is like, she loves it. She loves my gift. There's a vulnerable moment where you're going to give the gift and she doesn't have to love it. And if she doesn't like it, like for me, like I had a lot riding on this. I was really, really vulnerable uh, as a little kid. And um, my, my emotions were all tied to this gift. And if she decided in that moment to not accept my gift, I would be crushed. Anyway, after, um, after school that day, I was, uh, we were all packing up and I was watching Nicole. Um, and I always watch Nicole. And that's uh, <laughs> what you do. Um, and I uh, noticed that she, she grabbed the ornaments and she grabbed my ornament and she looked at it. And then she lifted the lid of her desk. Uh, kids, I don't think they make desks like this anymore, but we used to have the big bucket desk that you lift and stored stuff in. I had fruit roll-ups in there for miles. Um, and uh, she lifted up her desk and she looked at my ornament and she threw it in. And then she went on Christmas break. And I realized in that moment why they call it a crush. <laughs> uh, there's something about that moment where you extend something. That's a silly example, but... Uh, when you're give, you extend a gift and your gift is rejected, uh, and when you really care about somebody, you, it's not just a thing you're giving them. You're giving them a part of yourself at some level. Uh, and there's this moment of really vulnerable, like vulnerability where you, the question is, will they like it? Will they accept it? Will they reject the gift? Uh, and the moment just kind of lingers. I don't feel it with my kids because you want to give your kids something great and kids don't fake it if they don't like it it's like, like my older one now will tell me he likes it even if he doesn't but uh, the little ones yet yeah, like they don't fake it adults we get pretty good at faking it although 
there's like a split second where your face will deceive you. You'll open the present and, and then you'll fake it. But uh, there's a split second where you realize like, uh, and you're watching that second as the gift giver. In fact, you've wrapped the present. You know what's in there. You're excited for them to open this thing. Uh, and there's a moment where you're wondering, like, they don't know what's in here yet. And I can't wait to see what, because they're, they're going to love this. And if they don't, it kind of hurts. Giving gifts can be kind of dangerous because the more you extend yourself out there, the more opportunity there is for it to be rejected. And at some level, it can kind of feel like you are failing and you have been rejected. This is true of the Magi also. There's a cost for the Magi to make this journey. It's a long travel. And it's a dangerous travel. Now again, um, so back into some context. Uh, who were these Magi? The Magi, uh, again, the Magi, the word Magi is a Persian word. Uh, the Persians were the enemies of the Jewish people. Quite literally, they were the enemies. Up until uh, one generation before the time of Jesus, the Persians, the, even the Romans couldn't overthrow the Persians. The Persians held captive the city of Jerusalem. It wasn't until a, a man by the name of Antipater just defeated the Persians that they cleared the city of Jerusalem from the Persians. These are the enemies of your people, the Jewish people. Antipater, the guy who cleared the Persians out, had a son. His son was named Herod the Great. Herod the Great is in our story. Herod the Great is the first person that the Magi go to visit. Think about the cost in this. You know that you're going to the boy whose dad so hated your people, he got you out of the country. And now you're going to go to this man and you're going to ask him a series of questions. Now, next week, we're going to explore the person of Herod a little bit more deeply. Um, there's a lot. Herod's in our Christmas story, and it's, he's a fascinating character in history. If you go to Israel today, a lot of the artifacts are Herod. Um, and so we'll look more at Herod next week. But for the sake of this, uh, understanding this story, if you're taking notes, just write down that Herod is not a nice guy. He's insanely jealous. He's insanely paranoid. He would, uh, anyone in his family that he thought wanted his job... He want, they wanted his throne, he would have them killed. Didn't matter how close they were to him. Herod came into power as a puppet king under the Roman Empire. The Romans needed somebody who could control the region, so they installed Herod and they gave him a title. His title was the King of the Jews. So now you've got these magi from the east, the enemy people, and they come to Herod, and what do they ask Herod? Where's the king of the Jews? I'm right here. No, 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 not you. The real king of the Jews. Do you see how for Herod, those are fighting words? Do you see how Herod, that might, that might trigger something in him? Wait till you meet Herod a little deeper next week. But they don't just say, Where's, where is the real king of the Jews? They add a layer. We want to see him so that we might worship him. Now, uh, our New Testament is written initially in the Greek language. That word in the Greek language is a really important word. It's the word proskinesis. Proskinesis. Uh, it's actually, even though our New Testament is written in Greek, proskinesis is a Greek version of a Persian concept. Proskinesis is a Persian word first and foremost. If you 
type that word into Google, you will discover almost exclusively this is a Persian practice. This is a Persian practice. The Persians had a four-part system. Do you all follow me so far? Okay. The Persians had a four-part system for greeting someone. Uh, it was all recorded by a historian named Heroditus in his book, Histories. He records a four-part system for greeting people. Uh, first, if you meet an equal, in our culture, if, I'm, if you're at family fair and you see somebody and you're like, oh yeah, like we're, we're equals, you, we shake hands or you fist bump or you high five. That's how we greet equals. Uh, according to Heroditus in, the, in his book, Histories, if you meet an equal in Persia, ancient Persia, you do not shake their hand. The way you would greet an equal is you would kiss them on the lips. Just be grateful when we're like, hey, go greet your neighbors. We're not Persian. Okay. Um, it's cold and flu season. We don't want that. Uh, second, that's the least of your concerns. It's cold and flu season. Okay. Such a weird. Uh, second, if you greet your superior. So you greet an equal, you're going to kiss them on the lips. If you greet somebody and you're like, no, you're, you outrank me. You are more powerful than me. You're more noteworthy than me. You would not kiss them on the lips like an equal. The way you would greet them, according to Heroditus in his book, Histories, is you would kiss them on the cheek. You kissing them on the cheek was your way of saying, I recognize you are my superior. So you see your father-in-law, mother-in-law, you're going to kiss them on the cheek because you're going to honor them by saying you're superior to me. So equals, you kiss on the lips. Superiors, you kiss them on the cheek. Third, if you were to greet a king, you would not kiss them on the lips like they're equals to you. You would not kiss them on the cheek like they're superior to you. You would get down on your knees and you would kiss their hand. This practice is known as proskinesis. That's the word that gets translated worship. Proskinesis literally means to adore as a dog licks the hand of his owner. It was equals kiss on the lips, superiors, you're going to kiss him on the cheek. But if you're a king, we are going to get down on our knees and we're going to kiss your hands. The Magi come and they say, where is this one, um, the king of the Jews? We want to proskinesis him. Heroditus goes on to say that there was actually a fourth step. You see, in ancient Persia, they believed that some kings were so good, so powerful, that they were not to just be treated like ordinary kings. These kings, they said, were actually divine. They were gods. The way you would proskinesis a king that you thought might actually be divine, might actually be a god, is you would not kiss them on the lips like an like a equal. You would not kiss them on the cheek like a superior. You would not get down on your knees and kiss their hand like a, just an ordinary king. The way you would greet a god is you would lay on your belly and you would kiss their feet. Matthew, when he tells us the story, says these guys traveled all the way from the east and he doesn't just go to Jesus to treat him like a king. They want to go to Jesus to say, you're a God. Think about how radical this is. Now that's further emphasized, um, this picture, in the gifts that they bring. You ever noticed that? You ever wondered why they choose the gifts they choose? They kind of feel random, don't they? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Myrrh. Who even knows what that is? Myrrh. <laughs> it's a weird word. Gold, frankincense. Like, 
You imagine that hike? Like, what did you bring him? I got gold. What did you bring? Don't talk about it. <laughs> got that friend that outdoes you every time. Ah, Myrrh's like this resin, um, that, this tree sap that you would use. Like, it was essentially an ancient essential oil. Like, it was like a healing thing. Um, but you ever wonder why they choose gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Is this just random? Is Matthew just giving us random details? Turns out that the Persians had a specific practice. You can dive deep into this if you read history. Um, when gods were greeted, a way to say to a, god, a king that you are a god is you would give them three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, in fact, the Syrian king Seleucus, Callinicus II, offered these exact gifts to the Greek god Apollo in Miletus in 243 B.C., so about 250 years before Jesus. See what they're saying to him. These, these magi are going to risk the long travel. They're going to risk the dangerous travel. They're going to risk offending their enemy king, King Herod. But not just risk offending him by calling somebody else a king, but by saying we want to worship him as a god. Uh, I would say that giving gifts is dangerous and often costly. Not always, but often. And, and a gift to Jesus can often feel like the most costly of all. Uh, this is still true. Um, one of the reasons I think so many people this season can be hard, especially coming to church. Uh, I actually think that a lot of people feel drawn in the Christmas season. We're listening to the Christian songs in the mall, and I think there's something about those words that um, people's hearts are drawn to them. And yet they're... I've discovered that there are so many people that are terrified of coming through doors like this because they're wondering, what if he rejects me? Or what if they reject me? What if they know what I did? What if they know what I think? What if they know my history? What if I don't know all the right answers? What if, I, what if I'm rejected? Um, and this is where the Christmas story is so radical and so beautiful and... Uh, it's why we reflect on these ancient stories every week. The heart of the Christmas story is God does not ask you to go out and uh, even risk the rejection without first going to you and saying, I am giving you the gift. You'll find a theme throughout your Bible of God again and again saying to his people, I'm extending myself to you. All of the shame, all of the pain, all of the loneliness, I do not hold that against you. It's a really a vulnerable picture. In fact, you read through the scriptures, uh, God's, the language God uses is unbelievably vulnerable. I mean, if you're the creator of the universe, um, you don't have to talk like this, but notice how God talks. This is Proverbs 1. God says, you rejected me when I called and no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand. You rejected me. Isaiah 65 God says, I, I said, here I am, here I am. All day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people. Jeremiah 7, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Some of us have a mental map that God is this angry God, and if he wants you to worship him, you will worship him. But what you find in the scriptures is again and again God saying, I have had outstretched hands, but you won't take them. It's the God, it's the it's the God of open, outstretched hands. The, uh, Jesus tells the story of the prodigal, the prodigal son with the dad waiting. Um, many of us have this mental image of God as this angry, abusive father. 
But the picture you find throughout the Bible, and you see it most certainly at Christmas, is a God who simply holds his hands open and says, I've only ever wanted the relationship. P.S. to the story, and we'll wrap up. Uh, I, we, want, we asked the question, why a star, and how did nobody else see the star? Uh, have you ever noticed that God will often use different means to communicate to different people? Persians were obsessed with stars, astrology. They were star people. Why did no one else notice the star? It wasn't probably that it was this giant bright star that was super obvious. The reason most people didn't notice the stars is because most people weren't star people. They didn't look at the stars. The Persians studied the stars. They knew every star. If there's a new star, they know there's a new star. You and I go out there and we don't notice a new star. The Persians notice a new star. Have you ever noticed that uh, the way God communicates to you is a little different than he communicates to everyone else? We're all a little bit different. Uh, for me, it's music. Uh, there's certain music like musicians, albums, songs, that when I put them on, and when I'm feeling the most detached, the most lonely, the most scared, I put certain songs, albums, uh, playlists on, and it's like God himself speaks to me. Maybe for you it's art. Uh, it's like something in a beautiful painting or a canvas or clay, um, and it just, like, God reminds you of beauty and goodness. Uh, maybe for you it's film, uh, good stories move you. Uh, maybe you're like a really big people person, and the way God shows up to you is always through another person. Uh, maybe you're a nature person, and sitting in a tree stand is uh, like you try to, you say it as a joke sometimes, like, yeah, that's where I connect with nature and with God, but like actually that's where you connect with God. I think God is constantly trying to get our attention. And he speaks to us in a language that we speak. And to music people, he uses music. To film people, he uses film. To nature people, he uses nature. To star people, he uses the stars. Uh, this Christmas season, um, I, as we make our way towards the day of Christmas, uh, I would just encourage you to keep your eyes open for how is it God has been trying to talk there's probably something you need, some words you need spoken over you. We all do. Um, and I, uh, I believe God wants to communicate that word to you. He may do it different than he does for others. Uh, it, may, it may be for you it's music and not sermons. Or it may be for you it's grandma's pie or whatever. Like, it, like who knows? I don't know how God chooses to speak to you, but I believe God is trying to remind you it's going to be okay. All night long, I stretched out my hands to you, God says. Would you pray with me? Lord, uh, we sang it earlier, but um, Lord, the, this world is soaked in wonder. Uh, Lord, this world is soaked in beauty. Uh, there are moments and opportunities everywhere we look to see your goodness. For those who look at the microcellular level, Lord, we see your fingerprints on the creation. For those who study the stars, uh, Lord, we see your fingerprints on creation. 
Um, we, we pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see that all of life is a love letter that you're trying to write to us. Um, and Lord, would we return appropriately with an act of worship? Would we do what the Magi do and say, this, this God is worth leaving everything for? Uh, Jesus, we love you, and we pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Would you please For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. On Sunday mornings, you can find our service streamed live at 9 a.m. on our Facebook page. And so once again, from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.